Hello, everybody. Common Sense Christianity here. I hope everybody's doing fantastic. You know, it's been a while. I've been busy doing videos and uh, live streaming, but I'm back. Um, I want to cover agency again. I know I've covered it before, but it's very important. Uh, and I want to go over some things again. The bottom line is, if you don't understand agency, you will not understand scripture. You won't. Uh, you'll have confusion like Trinitarians have when they... They hear about the angel of the Lord appearing in the burning bush, and then it says God spoke from the burning bush. So they're going, how, how is this possible? Is this, is this the angel of the Lord God? This must be Jesus. No, it's an angel. Well, how is that possible? Uh, because in the law of agency, the Hebrew thought the first cause is not always distinguished from the intermediate or secondary causes. That is to say, the principle is not always clearly distinguished from the agent in Scripture. You know, it's kind of, sometimes it's confusing if you don't, if you don't grasp this. Um, it's not difficult, but once you see it and understand it, then it'll, it'll flow perfectly. But, you know, you have a hard time, some people have a hard time trying to understand it uh, because they're not used to it. The one commissioned to carry out an act on behalf of another is an agent, right? So sometimes the agent standing for the principle is treated as if he or she were the principal him or herself, though this is not literally true. Principal and agent remain two distinct persons, but they act in complete harmony. The agent acts and speaks for the principal. Um, now, I'd like to give credit to, uh, I'm kind of going off the notes of David Berg from New Zealand. He's got a great article, and you can find it online. It's called Divine Agency in the Scriptures, but I'm going to read most of it here. Um, but I'll add to it also. You know, I was going to say, uh, when you read Isaiah 7, and I keep bringing this up, Isaiah 7, 3, I believe, it says, you know, God says, the Lord said to Isaiah, go forth and meet Ahaz and say to him, right? And he gives Isaiah a commandment. But when you read Isaiah 7, 10, when Isaiah speaks, it says, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Well, wait a minute. You know, did, did you know, did um, Isaiah become a, God man or, you know, somebody with a dual nature? No, he was simply speaking on behalf of God Almighty. So the writer, as far as the writer was concerned, God spoke. So when you see angels appearing uh, throughout the Old Testament, it says the Lord appeared. Well, yeah, because the angels are representatives of God. Just like Isaiah was a representative of God, when Isaiah spoke, it said God spoke. And none of us think that Isaiah is God Almighty, right? So in the Bible, there are many examples of human principles using fellow humans for agents, of God as divine principles using angelic agents, and of God using human agents. So this notion of principle and agent is the key to understanding the relationship between the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. So the concept of principle and agency can actually help us to reconcile what appears otherwise to be contradictions in the parallel accounts found in the Synoptic Gospels. So in the account of Jesus healing the centurion's servant, Matthew speaks of a conversation between the centurion himself and Jesus, Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Luke tells us that the centurion did not, in fact, come personally. He sent some Jewish elders and then some friends to Jesus with his requests, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. So the centurion here is a principle the Jewish elders and the centurion's friends are his appointed commission's agents. Remember, in Hebrew, and in their thought, the principal and the agent are not always clearly distinguished. Sometimes it's a little ambiguous. 
Um, sometimes they're interchangeable, but they're different persons, right? And that's kind of weird in our in our language, in our construct, in our culture, but it's not uh, difficult to understand in the Hebraic culture. They're synonymous. They could be mentioned, one person could be mentioned, another person could be mentioned, but they both are the same because it comes from the, the scent is equal to the sender, right? So Matthew mentions only the principal, the centurion, without distinguishing the agent, the, the Jewish elders and friends. Luke mentions both the principal and agents. So to put it in another way, in Matthew's account, the elders, which are the agents, stand for and are treated as the centurion, which is the principal, even though this is not literally true. Okay. So in the same fashion, when Jesus was questioned concerning who might sit next to him in his kingdom, Mark gives us the impression that James and John themselves personally asked whether they might sit next to Jesus in places of royal authority. That's in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 40. Matthew tells us that, in fact, it was the mother of Zebedee's children who actually made their request to Christ. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23. In this case, Matthew gives the agency, which is the mother, whereas Mark does not. Again, putting it other way around, in Matthew's account, the mother, as the agent, stands for and is treated as James and John the principal even though this is not literally true. Okay, you can look at divine principle and human agency in Scripture. The Lord told, Mo, told Moses that he would be Elohim, God, to Aaron, Exodus four, sixteen. He says, I have made you Elohim to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet, Exodus 7, 1. Look at the Hebrew on this. There's no like a or as a. It's I have made you Elohim. Trinitarians add the word like a or as a, but in the Hebrew, it doesn't say that. It's I have made you Elohim. In Exodus 7, 17 through 21, the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord then says to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, that they will turn to blood. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord had commanded. Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed to blood. The Lord had said that himself would strike the waters with the staff in his own hand. Yet it was Aaron's hand that held the rod and Aaron who struck the Nile. Clearly Aaron is not God. Rather, Aaron stands as God's agent in the place of God. One might even say that he is God, not literally, but in the manner of Hebrew speaking. One might even say that in this case that God, as principal, was represented by Moses, the agent, who in turn was represented by Aaron. So, divine principle and angelic agency. Genesis 18 begins by the Lord appearing to Abraham in verse 1. and We read that Abraham looked up and saw three men in verse 2. The implication is that one of the three is in a sense the Lord. Later, it is the Lord who says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. When the men get up to leave, the Lord speaks again, verse 17. Finally, two of the angelic men turn away, and as the NIV has it, Abraham remains standing before the Lord, verses 22. The alternative given as a footnote reads, but the Lord remains standing before Abraham. Okay. It was not literally the Lord, the principal, who appeared to Abraham. It was an agent, his, you know, an angel, his agent. As agents of the Lord... The angels are treated as the Lord. Okay, remember in uh, Genesis 18, it says, I will go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, what do we see in Genesis 19? 
Then the two angels went down and they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. As agents of the Lord, the angels are treated as the Lord. We know this is true because the Bible is adamant. No one has seen God, John 1 through 18, 1 John 4.12, 1 Timothy 6.16, God dwells in unapproachable light that no man can see or can ever see. Okay, No man can ever see God and live, period. Note, too, that the one angel who directly represents God is worshipped as God's agent. Okay, He's not God. He's not God Almighty or yod He's God's agent. When Jacob wrestled with a heavenly being, he is said to have seen God face to face. So Jacob is said to have wrestled with God. Genesis 32, 24-30. However, we know from the word of the Lord to the prophet Hosea that Jacob, in struggling against God, actually wrestled with an angel. Hosea 12, 3-4. Jacob did not literally wrestle with the Lord, the principal. It was the angel, his agent, that he wrestled with. However, as the agent of the Lord, the angel is treated as the Lord. Again, we know this is true because the Bible is insistent. No one has ever seen God, John 1.18, 1 John 4.12, 1 Timothy 6.16. God dwells in unapproachable light that no man can see or has ever seen. Period. Start there. Don't dismiss those verses and then figure out, whoa, why are they seeing the angel? And it says they saw God. That must be Jesus. No, it's an angel. So too, when Jacob, as an old man, blessed Joseph's children, he said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. Genesis 48, 15 through 16. Surely God himself is not an angel, but the angel as his agent represented him. Okay. Another very clear example of this type of thinking is as follows. According to Deuteronomy 4.12, it was the Lord who spoke to Israel out of the fire to give them at, in his law at Mount Sinai. It is said to be the Lord's own voice that they heard. Yet several scriptures reveal the speaker to have been an angel. Stephen says that he, Moses, was in the assembly in the wilderness when the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, Acts 7.38, Acts 7.38, he told the Jews, You have received the law that was put into effect through angels and have not abated. That's verse 53. Paul also says the law that was put into effect through angels by a mediator, Moses, Galatians 3.19. Hebrews 2.2 only serves to confirm this point, saying that the message of the law was spoken by angels. This is no contradiction. The Lord did not literally speak out of the fire. An angel spoke. However, as the angel of the Lord, the angel is treated as the Lord, as if his Lord God speaking himself, right? Like Isaiah 7. When Isaiah spoke, it says God spoke. Isaiah 7.3 Isaiah is given a commandment by God. Isaiah 7.10, Isaiah speaks, it says God spoke. Scripture affirms that it was God who opened the doors of the heavens and rained down manna for the people of Israel to eat during the wilderness wanderings. He gave them the grain of heaven to eat, Psalm 78.23-24. The manna did not literally come down from heaven, the throne of God. It was from heaven in that the precious gift of God was sent by God. So too the manna is called the bread of the angels, Psalm 78.25. This is probably not because the angels actually have manna for breakfast or lunch or dinner, right? God himself provides the food, but he did it through the agency of the angels. So the angel of the Lord, remember I've gone over this before in my other uh, podcasts and my other videos. When Hagar saw the angel of the Lord, she said, I have now seen the one who sees me, Genesis 16, 7 through 14, referring to God. The angel of God said to Jacob, I am the God of Bethel, 
were you anointed a pillar? Genesis 31, 11 through 13. Also see Genesis 28 through 16. While it is said that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses from within the burning bush, it was God who called to him from the bush. Exodus 3, 1 through 5. Manoah, realizing that he had seen the angel of the Lord, said to his wife, We have seen God. Judges 13, uh, 13, 20. So too, Works attributed to the angel of the Lord are attributed to the Lord himself. The angel is said to have brought Israel out of Egypt. Exodus 3, 7 through 8, Judges 2, 1. He is said to have sworn to the land to the seed of Abraham. Genesis 15, 18, Judges 2, 1. It was he who have said to have cut a covenant with Israel. Genesis 15, 18, Judges 2, 1. Many suggest that the angel of the Lord is a manifestation of the Lord himself. Some even suggest that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate, pre-human form of Christ. If you believe this scripture is very clear on this point, we suggest that you are mistaken. The book of Hebrews makes much of the supremacy of the Son and the superiority of his ministry over that of God's servant, the angels. 1, 5 through 14. It is because the ministry of the Word and the Son is superior to theirs that it must be not be neglected. If the message spoken by the angels was binding, the saving gospel message that comes now by the Son is more so. Verses 2, 1-4. through four. While the Son was made a little lower than the heavenly beings, Hebrews 2, 7-9, the angels of the LXX, the Greek version of the OT, Psalm 8, through 4-5, uh, he has been exalted far above them by God the Father. He who is so superior to the angels cannot himself be an angel. One of the greatest truths in the Old Testament times revealed by Hebrews 1-2 is that God expressly did not speak through his Son in the Old Testament. That is because the Son was not living at this time. He had not been brought into existence, begotten in Mary's womb. Matthew 1-20, Luke 1-35. To say that the angel of the Lord is the Lord himself is an accurate and imprecise, the angel of the Lord is the agent of the Lord, and thus stands for the Lord himself. Exodus 23, 20 through 21 makes this clear. The Lord said, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. Okay, remember Jesus said, I come in the name of my Father. I will not forgive you rebellion since my name, which is his, what's his name? What's God's name? Yodevave, the Lord, God Almighty. My name is in the angel. So as the Lord's chosen representative, the angel speaks whenever it is told to speak by the Lord. The people are to obey the angel's voice because my name, God, Yodevave's name, is in him. That is, the angel represents God when he is sent on a mission from God. Has anyone seen God? When God confirmed his covenant with Israel, it is said that of Moses, Aaron, Nabab, Abudu, and the 70 elders, that they saw the God of Israel. I know I butchered those names, but oh well. Exodus 24, 9-11. So too in Exodus 33, 17-23, Moses is said to have seen God's back. God would not allow Moses to see his face when he passed because no man can see me and live. Note in verse 20 in God's own words, seeing God's face and seeing God are synonymous. Seeing God's back is akin to seeing God's glory. 
Exodus 33, 18 through 22, which Moses didn't see. He did indeed see. As the writer to the Hebrews puts it, Moses saw him who is invisible. Hebrews 1, 27. How is it then that the Bible is so clear? No one has ever seen God. Judges 1, 18, 1 John 4, 12. He lives in unapproachable light whom no one can see or has ever seen. 1 Timothy 6, 16. The only explanation available to us is that none of these Worthies ever saw God, literally. Rather, they saw God's agent, his chosen representative, who spoke with the authority of the Lord as though he were the Lord. They saw the angel of the Lord in exactly the same manner Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me sees the one who sent me. Talking about John fourteen nine. So the Messiah as God's agent. There are a number of texts where titles explicitly referring to God in the Jewish scriptures are referred to Jesus in the Christian scriptures. Many take this as a proof positive that the two are one in a Trinitarian sense, that is, two persons in the one essence of God. Comparing scripture with scripture in line with all that has gone before, it can be easily shown that these verses teach the vital truth that the Lord is the principal and that Messiah is his agent. Okay. He is appointed representative. Messiah stands in place of God. But it's not literally God Almighty, just like the angels are not God, any more than Moses, Aaron, or any other angel who stand in the place of God are literally God, right? They're his agents. The Jewish scriptures are clear on this point. God is the sole Savior of Israel. The Lord says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, Isaiah 43.3. Apart from me, there is no Savior, Isaiah 43.11. Also look at Isaiah 45.15, 21, 49-26, 60.16, 63.8. Nevertheless, Moses, as God's agent, is called Savior. Acts 7.35. Check out Acts 7.27 um, and Exodus 2.14. Uh, Exodus 18.13, the judges as God's appointed agents are also called saviors. Judges 3.9, Judges uh, 3.15, Exodus 2.14, Exodus 18.13, Acts 7.25, Acts 7.35. The prophets speak of other human agents, yet future who will save Israel, Isaiah 19.20, Uh, Of course, the apostles acknowledge God as their Savior also. They speak of God as our Savior, 1 Timothy 1.1, Titus 1.4, and as a Savior of all men, 1 Timothy 4.10. For them, the grace of God the Father brings salvation, Titus 2.10. But in true biblical fashion, they also refer to Jesus, God's ultimate agent, as Savior. He was born a Savior, Luke 2.10-11, and not just a Savior of Israel, but the world, John 4.42. Salvation is found in no one else. There was no other name than that of Jesus, by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. They were eagerly awaiting the Savior, Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.20. This does not, however, prove that Jesus is the Lord God, any more than the fact that Moses and the judges of Israel are also called Savior. And this doesn't make them divine. There is indeed only one ultimate Savior who is the God and Father of Christ. Jesus is also our Savior as the perfect agent of the one supreme Savior. Salvation derives, as Jude 25 says, from the only God, who is our principal Savior through his agent Jesus, the Mashiach, the Christ. Jesus as shepherd. Jesus as shepherd. Without doubt, God is the principal shepherd over Israel. Genesis 49, 24. Genesis 80, 81. Genesis 80. One, I mean, Jeremiah thirty-one ten, Ezekiel thirty-four eleven through sixteen. David said, "The Lord is my shepherd." Psalm twenty-three. 
We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100. The prophet Isaiah agrees, saying, He is the Lord, tends to his flock like a shepherd, Isaiah 40, 11. However, he shepherds his people, Israel, through his agents. Thus, the elders of Israel were God's appointed shepherds, 2 Samuel 7, 7. David himself was appointed by God to shepherd Israel, 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 3, 1 Chronicles 11, 1 through 3, Psalm 78 through 71. Then also a future greater David, the Messiah, was predicted to be God's appointed shepherd over Israel, Ezekiel 34, 23 through 24. Is it any wonder that Jesus, God's ultimate shalia, his agent, should refer to himself as a good shepherd, John 10, 11, 14, or that his apostles refer to our Lord Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews 13 through 20, and the shepherd and overseeing bishop of our souls, 1 Peter 25, 225. Nevertheless, this does not prove that Jesus is literally the Lord transmuted into flesh any more than the fact that the elders of Israel and King David, being styled shepherds of Israel, proves them to be God incarnate. Jesus as judge. God is a principal judge of the whole earth. Genesis 18, 25, 1 Samuel 2, 10, 1 Chronicles 16.33, Psalm 53-4, Yet although it is said that God himself is a judge, Psalm 50-6, and that God himself will bring about every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil, Ecclesiastes 12.14, God has chosen and commissioned human agents as judges to exodus God's judgment throughout Israel's history. Comparing scripture with scripture, we discover that God and Jesus ultimate, you know, Jesus is his ultimate agent actually stands for God and will judge all things at the end. He, Jesus, will bring to the light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. When he will judge the living and the dead, 2 Timothy 4.1 When the Son of Man comes, all the nations will be gathered before him. Matthew 25.31-46 The Father will actually judge no one. He has entrusted all judgment to the Son. John 5.22-27 The Father has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, but through the agency of the man he appointed. Acts 17.31 Note that the Son does not judge in his own right, but only because the Father entrusts judgment to the Son, John 5, 22-27. And the Son is styled man, not God. That, of course, is because there is only one God and not two, or three, or four. Jesus as the rock or stone of stumbling. Peter appears to Jesus, the text describing the Messiah, the Messiah, as a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, Isaiah eight fourteen. Compare it to 1 Peter 2, 8. Again, remember Jesus is God's agent. Thus, when Isaiah says the Lord will be a stumbling stone, he allows for the fact that God causes Israel to stumble over Jesus, his agent. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in his eyes. Psalm 118, 22-23. Jesus as the coming one. In Isaiah 40, 10, we read, See the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. Clearly the sovereign Lord is the Father. The phrase his arm may be taken to refer to Messiah, John twelve thirty eight. but the sovereign Lord is the coming one. It is he who brings his reward with him. 
Yet the Christian scripture repeatedly tells us that Jesus is the coming one. Revelation 2:20 uh, Revelation 22:7, Revelation uh 22:12 and 20. Our reward is with him. Revelation 22:12. This is not because Jesus is God now, but because Jesus as his representative is in place of him. Zechariah 14:4 should be seen in the light as well. In the same light, on this day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split into two from east to the west, forming a great valley with half of the mountains moving north and half moving south. In the Jewish scripture, his feet are the Lord's feet. Christians believe it is Christ who is returning to set up his kingdom upon earth. But rather than jumping to the erroneous conclusion that Jesus is the Lord, we should understand that the Lord's agent, Jesus' feet, are spoken of as God's feet in exactly the same way as Aaron's hand is spoken of as the Lord's hand. Remember Exodus 7, 17-19. All of the second coming passages in the Old Testament are referred to God, but in the New Testament to Jesus. Since there is only one God, we know that Jesus cannot be God, which would make two. The principle of agency steps in to provide a wonderfully satisfying solution to the apparent puzzle. God acts through and in his beloved Son, and also in his sons. Jesus as King of kings, Lord of lords. Surely, the same reason applies to Jesus being called King of kings and Lords of lords. 1 Timothy 6.15, Revelation 17.14, Revelation 19.16, King or Lord of glory, Psalm 24.7, uh, 24.10, 1 Corinthians 2.8, the first and the last, Isaiah 44.6, 48 through 12, Revelation 1 through 17, Revelation 22, 13, the rock, 1 Samuel 2, 2, Psalm 18, 2, Psalm 31, 2, Psalm 89, 26, Isaiah 17, 10 through 11, Matthew 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, 1 Peter 2, 4, 6, and so on. Jesus stands in the relationship to the Lord, not because he is the Lord, in a literal sense, but because as God's ultimate shalia, his agent, he stands for the Lord in a way that supersedes the status of Moses and Aaron or any of the angels, even the angel of the Lord who precedes the time of Christ. Remember when they used to bow down to the angels in the Old Testament, Weyes Tahu Scha in Genesis 18 and 19? Well, they bowed down to the angels, the two angels, the three angels, but now they're going to be bowing down to Jesus and they're not going to be bowing down to the angels anymore because Jesus has inherited a greater name than them. So in the book of Revelation, when an angel was worshipped, they tried to worship, he said, don't bow to us, bow down to God. Well, yeah, because the angels are no longer the representatives of God, Jesus is. So now when you bow down to Jesus, you bow down to God because Jesus had been given all authority in heaven and earth by God the Father, right? So it doesn't, make any sense that you know you would have jesus up in heaven being a man god given jesus the revelation in revelation 1 1 but yet jesus is yodevabe people don't understand these parallel accounts they don't understand why he can use the names these titles and they're synonymous with god the father but yet jesus has never called god ever other than you know a title given to men judges are also gods moses was a god that's why we have only one true god the father so in zechariah and the 30 pieces of silver one example will drive this point home. I'm talking about agency. The prophet Zechariah speaks about himself and records an event in his own life, pictures his prophetic ministry as a shepherding of sheep. But when he challenges the leaders of Israel to give him the wages due to him, they give him instead the price of slave, which is 30 pieces of silver. 
This surely was an insult worse than that if they had not paid him at all. So the Lord told the prophet to throw it to the potter, right? And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it to them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Verse 11, 13. It may be that the Lord himself speaks as being priced at 30 pieces of silver, but it was Zechariah who was also paid, right? Are we to assume that Zechariah is almighty God? No. Rather, in so pricing Zechariah, the Lord's agent, they thus priced the Lord himself. So when Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver in Matthew 26, 14 through 15, uh, Matthew 27, 3 through 10, they betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. We need no more conclusion that Jesus is the Lord in a Trinitarian sense than we would conclude that Zechariah is the Lord or, or Aaron. The Trinitarian idea of God and three persons had not been imagined in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, nowhere. A fine recent study by a German scholar, one or three by Karl Heinz Oli says, the Trinity possesses no biblical foundation whatsoever. This is page 130. Uh, by the German scholar, one or three, that's the name of the book, by Karl Heinz Oleg, O-H-L-I-G, says, the Trinity possesses no biblical foundation whatsoever. Page 130. So in conclusion, a Jewish understanding of the law of agency expressed in the dictum, a person's agent is regarded as the person himself. God appointed Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah, as his agent. As such trusting, he does it in regard as though the Almighty himself did it. One trusts the principle in trusting the agent. This notion of principle and agency helps us to understand why, if you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father. John 5.23, 15.23 By refusing to honor and love the agent, you are refer- refusing to honor and love the principle. We see in Jesus a perfect reflection of his principle. He who has seen and heard Jesus has seen and heard the Father. John 14.9 10, 10 through 38. And remember that people should be able to see God and Jesus in you, since Christians are also God's agent to bear the saving gospel of the kingdom to others. So I had to read it pretty fast because it's nine pages. It was pretty long. Uh, sorry for going through the verses. The reason why I did that is you can pause it later and actually pull up the verses if you want and double check. But I didn't want to go through. If I went through methodically in every single verse, it would take forever uh, there is a lot of scripture there that's listed, but I want it as a reference, not as a focal point of me talking and tying this up. I try to do my podcast fast because people have lives and people aren't going to want to spend hours listening to a podcast. But again, I implore you, when you read scripture, uh, look at the agency that I'm talking about. You know, There's a reason why angels appear and then it says God appears. And there's a reason why it says no man can see God or has ever seen God and God dwells in unapproachable light. Are there contradictions? No, they're not. Right? Just like in Isaiah 7, go go to Isaiah 7 and read it. Isaiah 7, 3, when Isaiah is commanded by God to speak to Ahaz. And then Isaiah 7, 10, when Isaiah speaks to Ahaz, it says the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. The same type of, of uh, wording is used when the angels appear. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Well, the, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, okay? It's the same exact thing. So when, when the angels speak on behalf, depending on the, the agency, like you could give somebody like Gabriel a specific mission and, um, and his mission is to tell Mary that 
she's going to have a child, right? But he, he's not sent to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's not like he's going to go there and then all of a sudden he's got this vested authority. It's, it's mission specific, right? When God gives a commandment, uh, the angels go and do it. Just like when Jesus was given a commandment, it's not my words. I'm saying everything that I'm doing everything that I was commanded by the father. So I hope this has been enlightening. Um, I think, you know, once you start reading into agency and accept it and just read the Bible through this, things will open up. I can't tell you how many people have told me um, that, you know, once they started getting a hold of scripture, uh, looking through the uh, perception of agency, the Bible just opens up like never before. You know, they just, wow, I can't believe this is another uh, indication of agency. You know, wow, this, this, and this. And um, I think it's really beautiful. But until next time, thanks for listening. And uh, don't forget to subscribe so you get my latest podcasts. God bless you.